Well, we've had a full morning already, haven't we? We uh, have an opportunity to, for ministry here with Celebrate Recovery and introducing that idea this morning and then to hear what God's doing in Bulgaria across the, across the globe. Is, uh, that's exciting for, for me. I hope it is for you as well. And, uh, and again, dads, we pray your blessings for you today as you celebrate uh, our role that way as well. Um, this morning I'd like to begin a new series for the summer. I've called it Shoreline Lessons, and it comes from our trip to Israel back in March. And um, I would like to take, take a few Sundays this summer and, and go back to the Sea of Galilee um, and, and talk about the ministry of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. And as we toured around the Sea of Galilee, uh, we were able to, to see the locations where certain things happened in the ministry of Jesus. They say, I learned this on our trip, that 70% of Jesus' ministry took place around the Sea of Galilee. How many of you knew that? I did not know that. So that's, that was interesting to me to begin with. And then as we went to each location, we, and we learned that this is where this happened, and this is where Jesus taught this, and, and uh, it was just really exciting to be in those places and to visualize what Jesus was doing. And so... Over the next few Sundays, I'd like to try to capture that if I could. It's, it, it's impossible. It's an impossible task, but I'd like to try to just take us back to the Sea of Galilee and, and take us into the ministry of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. So, one of the, I, I'd like to start with Mount Arbel at the Sea of Galilee, and I have a few, few photos of it. This is Mount Arbel from the Sea of Galilee. We were on a, we were on a boat uh, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, we were able to take that picture. That is Mount Arbel. It's a, as you can see, it's a steep cliff. Um, I didn't know about Mount Arbel before I went to Israel. I didn't, I had never, that name never occurred to me. I don't know if I never had seen it. But we wonder, many commentators wonder if this isn't a place where Jesus came for retreat often, to go up to the top of the cliffs of Arbel. And there are caves in there. You can see it in this photo. There are caves along the side of the cliff that some of the people of Israel hid from, hid from soldiers, invading armies, and they would hide in those, those caves on the side of the cliffs. <clears throat> um, let's, let's keep going through some of the slides here. I don't know how far down it is. Did anybody catch how far it is? It, it's very far. And so we were able to stand on... on as you can see, it wasn't vertical down, but it was pretty close to vertical going down from Mount Arbel. And I, I believe that village is the village of Arbel, if I'm not mistaken, down below. And um, this is Mike McGuire. I, I caught him off guard here. But this is, he's standing on the edge of Mount Arbel, which is where we had a time of devotions. And, and we did church up there. But that's the Sea of Galilee right there. And uh, go to the next slide, if you would, please. So this is us, right, right behind me is, is the cliff. So I, I never get very animated when I preach anyway, but it's a good thing I didn't get animated there because there there's a cliff right there, just a few steps backwards, and it goes straight down. So we had, a, we had a great time with the Lord that morning as we spent some time in the Word. And it was interesting because that morning, our, our, our tour guide knew exactly when to get us places and et cetera, et cetera, to beat the crowds. And we, we had the place 
to ourselves. I think there were just a couple of individuals up there on the mountain with us. And we had church up there. We had devotions up there. And then we looked around a little bit and we began walking back down the mountain. And, uh, and bus loads began to unload. And people were just streaming up there. We never would have had that time of quiet and, and nice tranquility up there. Uh, but, but there we were. We had the place to ourselves. And we, we were able to do church. Go ahead to the next slide if you would. So this is, this is looking out over the Sea of Galilee. Now, when I think about the, the ministry of Jesus, you can see in this picture a lot of the places that we talk about in Scripture. There's um, Magdala is right down below us to the left. Tatiana, could I use your laser? You... No. Okay. How do I use it? Okay. All right. I, I am needy. Okay. Turn it on. I put it on. There you go. I still don't know how to do it. Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay, now, if I, I, now I, I don't like doing this because there's 32 people from Valley who were at, in, on this trip, and they know better than I do what really happened. So, but let's see if we can do this. Down below, right down in here, is the city of Magdala, and that's where Mary, Mary Magdalene was from. You go up along the side here, and um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where, but along here is um, Tag, Tagba. Am I saying that correctly? Jamie, help me out here. Uh, where... where uh, Jesus said, throw down your nets, uh, cast your nets out on the other side of the boat. And uh, the Mount of Beatitudes is somewhere along this, this shoreline up here. Capernaum is, is up here somewhere uh, along this, this shoreline. Capernaum, what's, what's that famous for? Anybody have any idea? Say again. Peter's house was there. Peter's house was there. Jesus taught in the synagogue. We're going to read about that in just a minute. But Capernaum is also known as the home of Jesus. That's, that was, that was, that's where he called home base. Uh, it didn't go so well in Nazareth where he was from. We'll read about that in Luke chapter 4 in just a minute. He moved to Capernaum. He taught in the synagogue. We were able to stand in the ruins of, of a synagogue there in Capernaum and, and get a real feel for what what Jesus, what it was like when Jesus taught in the synagogue. Literally, what, 200 feet away from the synagogue was the, the house where Peter lived, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law right there in Capernaum. Over here is uh, some, I'm not sure exactly where, but on the other side is uh, Kersey. And when we went to Kersey, we learned that that's the place where, where, um, where the... the, the the demoniacs were called out of this, the graveyard. Do you remember that story? We're going to talk about that a little bit later as well in a few weeks. But Jesus, Jesus cast out the demons and threw them in. The, the demons asked not to go into the pit and he put them into the, they went into the pigs, the, the swine, and the swine ran down the cliff and into the Sea of Galilee. We saw exactly where that all happened. And it all happens right around the Sea of Galilee, right where we can see right there from, from Mount Arbel. On a clear day, you can see the snow of Mount Hermon. So there's Mount Hermon off in the distance. 
And as you, as, you, as you travel towards Mount Hermon, you go to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is at the foot of Mount Hermon. And Jesus would retreat with his disciples there as well, and he would pose the famous question, who do you say that I am? That's all within eyesight of where we stood on Mount Arbel. <clears throat> if indeed Jesus did retreat to the cliffs of Arbel, I have to wonder what he thought as he communed with the Father on top of that mountain and looked over the Sea of Galilee. As he gazed out on the water, as he gazed out on the villages and thought about each of the places that he would go and minister the kingdom of God, what did he think about? Historically, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this area. Um, so off to our left, I, I don't have a slide up there now, this, but off... As we stood and looked out over the Sea of, the Gal sea of Galilee, if you'd look behind us and off to the north a little bit, there's, there's a place, th that area, that region is where the prophet Isaiah spoke of. It's the place where the Jewish tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali were located. Isaiah prophesied of their fall to the Assyrian army and to their subsequent salvation. The prophecy of Isaiah looked ahead to the ministry of Jesus and went like this. But there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And we could look out over that as we stood on Mount Arbel. But in the latter time, he has made the glorious way of the sea. He has made glorious the way of the sea. Sea of Galilee, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. He's speaking of this area that we're looking at from the top of Mount Arbel. And he went on to prophesy this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And I wonder if Jesus didn't sit on Mount Arbel, and if he didn't gaze over the cities and land that he would minister to, and if he didn't think of those words of Isaiah, Isaiah went on to say, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And I wonder if he didn't, under, he, of course he understood, but if he didn't contemplate, if he didn't meditate on the fact that he was the light of the world and he was coming to the land that lived in deep darkness and he would be the light. You might remember the passage that Isaiah writes with that prophecy because he goes on to write in that prophecy for unto us what a child is born for unto us a son is given and so Jesus must have sat on Mount Arbel I'm, I'm imagining this this isn't scriptural but I'm imagining that Jesus must have sat on Mount Arbel and, and, and thought of the words of the prophet Isaiah for unto us a child is born a son is given and he would establish his kingdom and his reign that's what Jesus would do as he set out to minister around the Sea of Galilee and indeed to the whole land of Israel. So when we stood on Mount Ar Arbel, um, it was a thin place for, for me and I think for everyone else who was there. And you've probably heard me talk about the concept of a thin place. It's a, it's a Celtic concept. I, it, People go to weird places with it, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. And, um, but just I want to take it at face value. It's a thin place. is a, a place where you go, 
and uh, you and 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 heaven just seems to come come near to draw near. It's a place we would call it holy ground. It'd, it'd be a place where I just I really sense the Lord's presence here. I don't don't take that too far. Don't make a big doctrine out of it. It gets crazy and people do all kinds of weird things with it. But please just take it at face value with me today. We stood on Mount Arbel, and the presence of the Lord was there. Somebody say amen. Was that true? Is that true? God was there. And as we stood on, that top, on top of that mountain, we looked out over the Sea of Galilee, and we contemplated things we had already seen and think about Scripture and, and, and thinking about what Jesus would do and would say in all those places that were right there in our panorama. It was a thin place for us. It was a thin place for us. It was into this region that Jesus would begin his ministry. It was in those early days, the Scripture tells us, that the people of Galilee were amazed by the authority and the power by which Jesus taught. In all the villages and the incidents recorded in the Gospels, the ministry of the, around the Sea of Galilee established the authority of Jesus. So I'd like to talk about the authority of Jesus in the, in the, in the moments we have remaining this morning. So let's look at it. The inauguration of the, of the ministry of Jesus. This is right at the very beginning of his ministry. Luke chapter 4. We're, gonna, we're going to spend our time in there this morning. This is, this is the devotion that we had that morning on the top of Mount Arbel, thinking about the authority of Jesus. Now, it's, it's real, it's real t- we're going to go through several situations we're going to do a 40,000-foot flyby on chapters 4 and 5 here this morning. It's real tempting to stop and look at each situation because each one tells a story. Each one tells the truth, a principle of, of the kingdom that Jesus was communicating. And, and we'll do that over the next few weeks, but not today. Today is just a flyover. And I'd like to just do a tour of what, of what Luke chapter 4 and 5 have to say to us as he begins his ministry. So our tour begins in Nazareth. Look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the first thing we see is that he has authority from God. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So when we think about the authority of Jesus, one of the, places, one of the ways that he, he, he has his authority is it comes from God himself. The Spirit of the Lord has, is, is upon me because he has anointed me. My technology is quitting on me up here. There we go. Another way we see the authority of God established, the authority of Jesus established, he said, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And when we went to Capernaum, we sat, we, we, 
we walked through a, a synagogue and we could see how it was laid out. We could see the, the stone benches all along the side that people were sitting on as we, as we walked through the synagogue. So we have a very good visual imagination, a visual picture of what this looked like when Jesus sat in the temple. He stood in the temple and, he, and they unrolled the scroll and he read the scripture. And he goes on to say this, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. All of them who were seated on the benches along the sides and the place was probably full as Jesus taught because they knew he was coming, they had heard of his teaching, and he began to say to them, look at this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But I want you to catch this, his authority comes from scripture. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was able to open up what was then the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and he was able to say, the Jewish scriptures who point to the Messiah, the Jewish scriptures who point to the sent one from God, the appointed one from God, that's me. I'm standing here, I'm reading the scripture to you, you've heard it a hundred times before, but you've never heard it from the very Son of God who is standing here saying this to you today. I'm the one. And he could say that because the God has appointed him for that role, and the scriptures point to him as well. And so we go on. And he, and he talks about no, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. We'll skip down a little bit. Verse, 20, verse 28. When they heard these things, and all, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, they, they went from awe and wonder of his teaching and his words and his presence, and now they're angry at him because he said some hard things to them. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. See, Jesus has power over circumstances as well. I don't know if you, if you can grab a hold of this story, but they're ready to kill him. They're ready to throw him off the cliff, and there's a whole mob of people gathered around him. And I'm imagining that when there's a whole crowd of people who are desiring to throw you off a cliff and they've got you on the side of the cliff, you don't just say, you know, not today and just turn around and walk away. It doesn't happen like that. They're there with a purpose. They're there with anger. And, they, they, and the anger is boiling over and they're ready to just push you off the cliff. But Jesus has power over circumstances. Jesus has authority over circumstances. And we'll talk more about this next week with the feeding of the 5,000. <coughs> he simply turned and walked away. Because he is the one who is anointed by God. <coughs> He's the one who is anointed by Scripture. He's the one with authority and power of God. He turned and walked away. Let's keep going. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. <coughs> now he's changing directions. He's gone from Nazareth. He's going down to Capernaum, which we saw on the screen. It was located right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So his teaching was marked by authority. His teaching, uh, they, they noticed that, they recognized, this man has authority. We go on. And in, in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. And the other thing that, the other characteristic we see of his authority is that he has authority in the heavenly realm. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Even the demons recognized who he was. He has authority in the heavenly realm. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Going down to verse 30, 36, And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they came out. So that we, we see that his authority has power behind it. Jesus has authority, and he has the ability to do it. He wouldn't have any authority if he didn't have the power to back up what he was saying. And so we see here that he has authority with power. And then he arose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. And we saw when we were there in, in Capernaum, we saw he literally walked across the street. And he went to Peter's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. Can you imagine that? He just spoke it. He rebuked the fever. You don't talk to fevers. I've got a sinus infection this week. I didn't talk to my sinus infection and say, go away. I, I maybe tried that, but it doesn't work for me. But for Jesus, he simply spoke to the fever. He rebuked it and the fever left. That's the authority that Jesus has. <coughs> Jesus has authority over sickness. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was, in, he was the Christ. Another aspect of his authority is his, his authority by position. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. His, that's his position. That's his title. And so he has authority in that as well. You see, you see all the different layers of authority that Jesus has? I want us to grab a hold of that idea today. And then he goes on later and he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus has authority of purpose. He was sent by God for a task, for a specific purpose. That is part of his authority. He came to accomplish a certain certain establishing of the kingdom, a certain purpose that God the Father had sent him for. He has this authority, a purpose. And we go down into chapter 5, and um, this, is this, this is one of the scenes where Jesus says, put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, the fisherman, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. And so he, he did, you know the story, he put down the nets, he came back with a load of fish. Jesus knew exactly where the fish were. Jesus has authority over nature. Are you getting the idea? There's no, there's no authority that he, doesn't, that he does not have. Jesus has authority even over nature. And then we go on with the rest of this story. Verse, verse 8, and when, the, when it all happened, when, this, when the nets were full of fish and and all, all saw that, and Peter saw that. When Simon, verse 8, when, Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus has authority from holiness. Peter recognized in that moment, Jesus is the Holy One sent from God. He is sinless. He doesn't suffer the same, same disease that we do with sin. Peter recognized I am in the presence of God. This man is holy without sin. And he said, depart from me. And finally, finally in verse, verse uh, 15, verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything 
and they followed him. And so that's the, that's the last characteristic from this passage that I, that, I, that I observed, is that Jesus had authority over the disciples, over their lives. They simply dropped their nets, and they left, and they followed him. Just like that. Just like that. And we had a testimony from Tatiana this morning, how she came to know Christ and now is involved in ministry as well. Jesus has authority over our lives, over our discipleship, over our calling. He has authority to call us. Now let's look at Jesus in light of his authority. In John chapter 8, verse 58 says this, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am, I am. Now we tend to think about Jesus as our friend. We forget who he is. Jesus is the great I am. All capital letters, I am. And when I think about the great I am, I, I, when, he, when, when God said that to Moses back in, in the book of Exodus, I, I, I don't know if this is a, 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 a full explanation of the idea, but when I think about when the idea of I am, what does it mean? What does it mean? God says, I am. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, all capital letters. And they understood that to mean that he said he was God. I am. The, the closest, the Mike Sindelar definition of the great I am, I am God, deal with it. That's it. That's it. I don't move. I don't change. I don't, my truth is always the same. When I speak, my words last forever. If I tell you that this is the truth, if I tell you this is what I have for you, if I tell you this is the plan I have for you, you need to adopt to it, not me to you. Right? Thank you. What's our world doing today? We expect God to conform to our image. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Deal with it. It's your job, it's your role, it's your, it's your submission to come in line with who this, this man is, who the Lord is. And so Jesus comes bursting on the scene <coughs> to Capernaum, to Nazareth, to the Sea of Galilee, to that whole region around there. He comes bursting on the scene and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And I don't think we understand that. We don't understand that Jesus is, yes, he is our friend. Yes, he is our intimate. Yes, he, he wants to, he calls us into relationship, but we, we can't forget who he is. He's the great I am. And at the end of the age, every knee will bow before him. Every knee will bow before his authority. Even those who are reluctant to do it, even those who still remain his enemies will still bow their knees to the great I am because that is who Jesus is. Because he's the one who's seated at the right hand of power, the right hand of the Father, the right hand of authority. And he's the one who rules the universe. He's the one by every word of his mouth, the, word, the universe holds together. He's the one who gives us our very next breath. Yes, he is our friend, but he is the great I am. And we look at Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5, and we understand as we look at all the, the, all the different aspects of authority, we realize he has authority over everything. So what are we doing? What are we doing? <coughs> the world, world focuses on choice. 
I can do this, I can define that, I can go this way, I can go that way. The world defines it. We, we, we go by choice. This idea of the great I am and what he says goes, what he says is law, what he says is eternal, who he is is eternal. He's not only our redeemer, which we like to embrace, and we, and we should, he's our redeemer. He's the one who, who brings us life, but he's also the judge. He's also the one who stands over the world and over the nations and over us as individuals and says, and, and judges us according to his ways, not my ways. He is the great I am, and the world is all about choice. In his book, Impossible People, Os Guinness describes the tension of this, the tension that we now live in. Guinness says this, the, the world focuses on choices. The world doesn't focus on content of an argument or a discussion. The world doesn't, doesn't focus on truth. The world doesn't focus on natural order. The, the world doesn't focus on the way God designed things. We focus on our choice. I can do this. I can do that. In, in our emphasis on choice, listen to this. This really, this really opened up a whole new understanding for me when I read this as Oz Guinness explained it. He said, all things then, if we, are contempl- if we are focused on choice, all things then become a social construct. Have you ever heard that term before? It's, get ready for that term, social construct, because it is coming at us at, a, at light speed. Everything today is a, is a social construct. And everything today is a social construct that needs to be shed in order to experience true freedom. Do you understand what I just said? Everything around us is a social construct. Even natural things are a social construct that we have put on ourselves. No understanding that God might have designed a universe. No understanding that God might have put order in our universe, order in our world. No understanding that God might put order into our marriage, into our families, into our lives, into our heart, into our very thoughts. But instead, all of those things that kind of impose new orders or old orders on us, are now a social construct, and I need to get rid of it. I need to peel it off. So when we talk about marriage, marriage is a social construct then. And somehow, somehow we've imposed this, this restriction of marriage and one man, one woman, fidelity for a lifetime. We've imposed that kind of a restriction, and you need to shed it. You need to get rid of it. That's where true freedom is. That's what the message of the world is today. True freedom is when we, when we shed social constructs. So it, it includes things like marriage. It includes your lifestyle. Includes You see, nobody can tell me how to live. Because if you want to impose some sort of an order or some kind of a, a mandate on me, then that's a social construct, and I'm just going to throw it over. I'm going to live however I feel. And this whole, the whole issue of gender and all the issues that go with that are all about choices over the socially imposed restrictions. Social constructs that need to be rejected. Did you get that? Now, can you go back to last night's news and hear that story repeated over and over and over again? I, uh, speaking of the news, I just heard, it was yesterday or the day before, I was watching the news in the morning, and uh, there was a, an issue of apparently some, some boys transgender boys entered into a track meet for girls. Did you hear about that? This is, this is going to happen. This is bound to happen. This is where we're going. Transgender boys that identify as girls had the right to enter into a state track meet, and they won the track meet. 
Uh, they won, the, I believe, a state championship. Boys who identify as girls. And so they had this panel on the news. Well, what do you do with that? Well, everybody agreed that it's okay for boys to identify as girls. That's that, uh, girls to identify as boys. Everybody agreed that that's okay. And everybody, well, I get that. Well, I get that. I don't get that. You see, it goes against God's natural order. You heard it here first. Because you won't hear it out there. Because on the panel, there are three people, and they all say, oh, I get that, I get that. No, I don't get that. But one man had the audacity to raise his hand and say, you know what? Um, I think we're missing some common sense here. They were trying to decide if it was okay for these boys to win the girls' state track meet. And he raised his hand, and he said, you know, I think we're missing something here. I think we're missing common sense. Boys are built differently than girls are. And he went on to say, you know, I get the fact that they identify as girls. I get that, which we're all trying to accommodate, right? He said, but it doesn't it make sense that boys are just built differently, and they, they, as athletes, they perform differently? And, and aren't we cheating the girls out of something? And you should have heard the mockery. Okay? Oz Guinness says we're all about choices, and we have thrown out the order that God has given to us. You understand that? Someone recently asked me where this discussion of gender issues is going and, and, and what is the ultimate goal of it. Where do all these things wind up? And, and if, if, you, if you do any reading on this issue at all, the destination that is sought after behind the scenes is no gender at all. It's a very pagan idea. It is a pagan religion. You see, nothing is new under the sun. We aren't inventing. We aren't involving. We aren't going someplace new. We're actually going someplace quite old. The goal is no gender at all, and that's a very pagan idea. A free world, a true freedom, true liberty is found when there's no gender whatsoever. It's a social construct. Former President Obama said that we would look back at his time as president, at the time of his election, and we would recognize that the sea levels would stop rising and the world, the earth would begin to heal. as if we have authority over nature, as if we have the power over nature. You see, our emphasis on choice leads us to reject objective truth. It, reje it leads us to reject nature and the order of nature, and it, it leads us to reject even God's design for things. We're not even talking about his, his, um, his, his moral truth. Ultimately, we reject God and his authority, and we choose instead to live under our own authority. Self becomes God. This all sounds strangely familiar to the story of Babel, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Today, just as back then, the world seeks to make a name for itself, to rest in their own authority, and to reject the lordship of God in all things. That ought to make us just stop and pause for a second, shouldn't it? You see, we're not going anywhere new. We're going back to the Tower of Babel. Christians fall for the same delusion that we can have and we can manage the authority over our own lives instead of living under the authority of God. We choose, uh, on a broader scale, we've seen whole denominations of churches that have chosen to reject God and his word. 
and we've watched the shipwreck of, of certain denominations. Even in, in my own lifetime, I have watched the shipwreck of a, a particular denomination that I'm thinking of. And it always begins with, re- with the rejection of God's word and God's authority. It always, it always begins with me saying, you know, I don't like this page, but I think this page works for me. But I, and I don't like the story of Noah, but I think, I think the, the Psalms are nice. Those are good. And so we take, we, we, we take the scissors to it and we take the, the blackout marker to it and we say, I don't like this and I do like that. And we, we, begin, we take the authority ourselves. And we've watched that with whole denominations. And, it's, and the moment that you do that, the moment you say, I take authority over this, over God's word, then you can watch the descent into chaos. It takes, takes several years. <coughs> In the denomination I'm thinking of, it took over 25 years, but the descent has become complete. On a personal level, the recent stories, uh, the recent messages that we had right here at Valley Free on the fruit of the Spirit, and I've said this before, so forgive my double duty, we, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and I have to tell you that when I talked about the fruit of the Spirit, I, I wanted to get out of it. Because when you hold up the mirror of the fruit of the Spirit and you look at yourself in Galatians chapter 5 and you, and, and you, and you find out what God's trying to do in your life when, and he holds up the mirror and he says, Mike, this is, this is what the, when the Spirit is here, when the Spirit is at work in your life, this is what it looks like. And I hold up the mirror and I say, that's not what I look like. And so the authority of God comes face to face with me in the, in the fruit of the Spirit study and I look at it and I say, oh my goodness, my nature is in complete rebellion to the fruit of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit. And what a job he has to do to wrestle me to the ground because I refuse to give him authority. I refuse to yield my authority to him. And so Jesus burst on the scene in Luke chapter 4 and chapter 5 in the beginning days of his ministry and he began teaching, he began preaching the kingdom of God. And the first thing that people realized is that Jesus taught with authority. And I won't, Luke chapter 4, verses 32 and 36, Matthew 7, 28 and 29, I won't take the time to read them right now. We need to understand the context. You see, they, in the Jewish culture, the rabbis were constantly debating God's law. What does this mean? What does that mean? And we talked about that in Galatians and they started building fences around it so they, they made up all kinds of rules so that you wouldn't break the main rule which was in the Old Testament, whatever the topic was. And they were, the rabbis were constantly debating, I, I think it's this way, I think it's that way, I think we should go left, I think we should go right. And marriage, for example, marriage was one of the things that they loved to argue about. What's, what, uh, when can you get a divorce? In the Old Testament, God lays out when you can get a divorce. So the rabbis debated it ad nauseum. There's one school of thought that said, you can, you can divorce your wife if she burns the pancakes in the morning. And the other school of thought said, you can never divorce. So you, there are very rare exceptions for a divorce. You see, they, they went back and forth in these different schools of thought. The rabbis did this all the time. And here comes this guy, Jesus. Rabbi Jesus. Uneducated in their, in, their, in, their, in their systems, in their, in their structures. And he comes along as a rabbi who's teaching, who has disciples. And you know what the first thing people said was? He teaches with authority. Can you imagine watching 
CNN this afternoon and having Jesus on CNN? Can you imagine on the, on the um, pick a channel, pick, a, pick, pick any, any news channel and have the, the panel discussions that go on, again, ad, ad nauseum, right? And we're all debating, well, I think this and I think that and I think we ought to give this and I think we should take that back and I think they're, they're wrong about that and sometimes we get into name calling and all kinds of stuff. You see, it's no different today. What if Jesus appeared on one of those talk shows and, and on that panel discussion, what if Jesus appeared and he simply said, thus saith the Lord? What if he came and he said, now, in Matthew 19, now you've heard it said that, it was, that Moses allowed a certificate of divorce, but let me tell you this, in the beginning it was not so. And the, and the arrogant, the, 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 the announcer, the facilitator of the conversation who has always got a quick answer, always got a, a kind of a, 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 a nasty response or something, and all that discussion is going on, and all of a sudden they have nothing to say because he teaches with authority. That would be awesome. And that day is coming. That day is coming. It's at least seven years from now. It might be just seven years from now, but someday, someday, at least seven years from now, he's going to establish his kingdom and all the nations on the earth are going to bow down at his throne. And he's going to organize the whole planet according to his kingdom and his rule. And the day is coming when the news shows will, will show him. And now I'm really getting out of control, ain't I? The news shows, and he'll, and he'll simply say, this is what the Lord says. And nobody will talk back. And so the question I have for us this morning, that we could go into the fact that we now live under his authority, we also live with his authority. We, that's a whole other subject we can talk about with his, with his authority, right? We had, he said, all, all authority has been given to me under, in heaven and earth, and now I send you out in the same authority. I don't have time to go into that this morning. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you live under the authority of Jesus? Now, there's another mirror question, isn't there? And I wonder, is there a discussion going on in your life right now? Is there a relationship that's, that's kind of sideways? Is there something going on? And I'm willing to bet you that the Holy Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder right now over a certain topic. And he's saying, this is what I have for you. This is the truth. This is my plan. This is my pathway. This is my purpose for you. And you're standing back, and I, I know because I'm really good at this, I'm standing back, you're standing back, and you're saying, <laughs> yeah, that's all good, but not today. I'm going to try this first. But the people of, that, that saw Jesus in those first days of his ministries, they recognized he taught with authority. And I'm asking us today, do we come to the same conclusion? In whatever circumstance, whatever is going through your head right now, the Holy Spirit is doing that right now. He is moving. And he's, he's raising something to the surface in your heart. And he's asking you the same question. Will you put it under the authority of Jesus today? That's where he's taking us. It's a hard question. It's a liberating question. True freedom isn't throwing over the social constructs. It's coming under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we, we see, as the people around you did in those days, your authority. 
And we see that it is not a limited authority, that it, that it encompasses all things. And when we think about the all things, we realize that we are a small part of that. And so, Lord, we want to come under your authority today. I pray that for every, every thought, every discussion, every, every wrestling that's going on in this room this morning, that you would have complete freedom, that we would yield our hearts to you, and that we would allow your authority to reign supreme in our hearts. May we be the first to bend our knees to your authority, Lord Jesus. And may we, as we walk through this week, may we experience the liberating truth of that this week. That there is freedom in following Jesus. So Lord, you've also given us your authority to operate in the world, to be kingdom ambassadors. And I pray that you would send us out in the fullness of that authority this morning to proclaim your kingdom to proclaim your great name that others might know. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On your way rejoicing.